If you would, you can go ahead and grab uh, some Bibles from underneath your chairs or if you brought yours with you this morning. And uh, the page number today is really easy to find because we're going to be on page number one. And that should be the same for pretty much every single Bible that's out there. But before we read our passage this morning, which we're going to read uh, Genesis chapters 1 and 2, uh, I want to give you a little kind of a sneak peek and an explanation for where it is that we're going to go in this series. And so, as some of you have, have heard, some of you haven't heard, some of you are going to find out this morning, for the next eight weeks as a church, we're going to take a break from our kind of normal practice of what we do as a church. If you've been at BC for very long, you know that uh, our pattern for preaching is to pick a book of the Bible and go through it uh, until we're done. And then when we're done with that, to pick another book of the Bible and just keep going through teaching God's Word in that pattern. But occasionally what will happen is as we're going through a book of the Bible, for example, we recently went through Colossians, and as we're doing that, this, this topic will come up again and again in this book, and we think, you know, it would be great if we could take some time out and focus just on this one topic. And so as we went through Colossians, just the idea of the new creation and this, this new creation life that we have in Christ kept kind of coming up again and again in what Paul was writing. And so we decided that for the next eight weeks, that's what we're going to do. We're going to take a step back before we start another book, and we're going to look at the idea of the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, and this kind of theological concept of the new creation. We're just going to walk through this idea and unpack it. And the reason why I think it's important for us to do this as a body is because all of us face a fairly significant problem. And the reality is that when it comes to, to this idea of, of the gospel and the new creation, we're all, myself included, are in one of maybe three or four boxes this morning. So box number one, in my notes, I actually just have three boxes. And then as I was walking up here, I thought, you know, there's actually a fourth box that people are in. So the first box would be um, where I think a lot of, of Christians are. And that's the that we approach the Bible as if it's the book that we would like it to be instead of as the book that it is. See, we, we come at it and, and we talk about it and we treat it as if it's this, this, this collection of kind of these propositional truths. Like, God created the world. Human beings are sinful. Uh, we need salvation through Christ. Um, angels are real. Demons are real. Those kinds of, of factual statements that the Bible makes about things. And it actually, it, it absolutely has those kinds of statements in it. So you're not wrong if you think that the Bible has those kind of statements. But you are wrong if you think that that's all the Bible is. Because the reality is, is that this, this book isn't written like a collection of individual statements about who God is and what he's done for us. It's a story. It starts all the way back at the beginning and it goes all the way to the end. And it tells this magnificent, magnificent story of this God and what he's done for us and, and for himself in his creation. And so as we walk through this series, we want to communicate what that story is. So you're in box number one if you don't really understand that there is a story. Box number two would be that you, you understand that there is this kind of overarching story that the Bible has for the world. Philosophers call these things a, a meta-narrative. That's a, the, the one story that explains every other story, including my story and your story. 
So maybe you're here and you get there is that kind of story in the Bible, but maybe you don't understand what that story is, or maybe you have some, some pretty significant misconceptions about what that story is. This is where I think the vast majority of Christians are. And full disclosure, I would say to myself, uh, some days I'm still in this box. Up until just a few years ago, like coming through seminary in the midst of getting a PhD in New Testament, I was in this box. I didn't get the story. I thought I did. You see, what I, I pictured, you know, I knew about creation. I knew about Christ coming into the world to save us. And my picture of the end was really confused. And I think that if we're honest, when we think about what the end of everything will be like, what we picture is something that's a lot different from what the Bible presents. See, what I used to picture the end being like is a lot like this. A lot like what we're doing this morning. We'd all be in rows together, uh, facing the same direction. There may or may not be a PowerPoint presentation. You know, angels would play harps and lyres and maybe other angelic instruments, and we would all just worship God forever. And by worship, in my mind, I think worship and song just like we do. So it would be a lot like this, only it would be brighter and happier. And up in the front row, we'd see like, you know, Moses and Paul and Peter. And they'd probably raise their hands because they're very spiritual. (laughs) Not that raising your hands is super spiritual or not raising your hands isn't. But I think a lot of us, when we think, what will heaven be like? That's what we think. And so the goal of our faith, for me... And I think for a lot of Christians is that we avoid sin as much as we can now so that we can leave this place and go to heaven where sin won't be a factor anymore. That's box two. And I would submit to you, and I'm going to submit to you as we go through this series, that that is not an accurate picture of what the end will be like. The purpose of Christianity is not us leaving this place and going to heaven. The purpose of the gospel is heaven coming here. Not now, but in glimpses and and tastes and, and peaks now and then later in its fullness where the world as a whole is made new. You know, it's not that this place is going to burn and we're going to have a whole lot of fun watching it. It's we're going to worship God as He makes this place new. So box one is is you don't get that there's a story. Box two is you don't get the story. Box three would be where I think a lot of us are. And that's that we get that there's a story and we get what the story is, but we don't understand how that story impacts my story or your story. How does what the end is going to be like affect my life today, this week, this morning, as I seek out or seek to live out the gospel in Hannibal, Missouri? How does it impact my life when I'm parenting my kids? How does it impact my life when I'm trying to minister to my neighbors? How does this huge story of what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do, how does that impact our lives? So that's box number three. Box number four is, you know, you just walked into this place and have no idea what you've gotten yourself into. Maybe you don't know anything about the Bible. Maybe you don't know anything about the gospel or the new creation or what the end is going to be like. And so the goal for us as we walk through this series, as we study these these topics in Scripture, is to move ourselves out of box one or box two 
out of box three. So the first, the first goal is just to get a grip on what the story of Scripture is. What, what God's story of the gospel and the new creation is and, and how we should understand that together. But that's not the only goal. You see, because if we do that, if, if me and Matt teach on these things and you guys hear it and you listen and you pay attention and you take notes and you remember all this stuff, but that's all we do, then we just all move ourselves from box one or box two to box three. And so the second goal is that we wouldn't just understand the story, but that we would also understand how our story is part of it. How it's, it's, it's not finished yet. The story is ongoing and we participate in its completion together. And so as we move through these things, I want, I want that in the back of our minds that we would have as our goal both learning these things and learning how these things should affect our lives in the present. Because if we, if we don't do that, then we're just wasting our time as a church studying these things. Because the goal of our faith is not knowledge. It's doing something with the knowledge that God has gifted us with. So this morning, the first thing we're going to cover is we're going to cover creation. If we want to know anything about the new creation, it would probably be a good idea for us to know something about the old one. And so, if you would, open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Genesis 1 and 2. We're going to read both these chapters. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And he called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights, or let let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. 
And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our own image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, and the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to the water of the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bdellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed 
up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that we can have confidence when we read Your Word. That we are reading a book that is is not like any other book. That we can have confidence the words that we read are the words that You inspired Your people to write down for our benefit. And so this morning as we look together at your creation of everything. God, help us to see that you had a purpose in creating. You had a purpose in in creating us. That you haven't put us here for no reason at all, but that you've given us a task that we bear Your image in Your creation and that Your creation exists to bring You glory and to to show off who You are. God, we pray this morning that You would help us to see together what, what matters in this passage and what doesn't. The things that we can agree on in Christ and the things that we can be okay with disagreeing on in Christ. Help us this morning as we study Your Word. And help us recognize that the only reason any of this matters this morning is because You have redeemed us in Christ. It's because of Him that we can be here and celebrate and worship and study Your Word together. And so Jesus, we thank You for Your sacrifice on our behalf. It's in Your name we pray. Amen. So the main point this morning for us is that God created everything and us with a purpose. I know that sounds obvious, but that's what we're going to focus on this morning as we go through this. Before we really get to that, we've got to cover some things at the beginning. And so I want to share this quote with you, which should be on a slide. This quote is, When considering the creation, the how and the when does not matter so much as the why and the wherefore. When considering the creation, so creation of everything, The how and the when does not matter so much as the why and the wherefore. We've got two qualifications for this quote. First of all, I know absolutely nothing about this guy. The only thing I can find about him is that he said these words. And he's quoted as saying these words. And actually there's one other thing. His last name means like field of love or something like that. So... I don't know exactly what he meant when he said these words, what he taught about creation or anything, but I know that I appreciate this quote. 
The second qualification is that we need to make sure we recognize what he's not saying. He is not saying that the how and the when does not matter. The how and the when matters. How God created the world, when God created the world, that does matter. But it does not matter so much as, it's not as important as the why and the wherefore. The why and the wherefore is, is the reason for God creating the world. And so the exact details of how he did it, the exact timing of how he did it, that does not matter as much as his purpose for creating the world. And so this morning, we kind of want to adopt that mentality as we walk through this passage. But the reality is that most Christians, probably because they don't know who this guy is, don't do this. We spend all our time on the how and the when. For example, and this is just the first example I thought of. I'm not specifically attacking this guy, but I'm sure a lot of you have heard the name Ken Ham and his website Answers in Genesis. I'm not saying I disagree with him. I'm not saying I don't like him. But what I am saying is that his entire website, his entire ministry is focused on the how and the when. There's very little of anything that's focusing on the, the why on the what now, on the what do we do. Sure, God created the world. This is how he may have done it. But what does it matter for us today? And so I'm not saying I disagree with him. I'm just saying that there are examples of people who who focus way too much on the wrong side of this statement. And so we don't want to do that this morning. If If you're somebody that you say, I want to know about you know, the timing of creation. I want to know about dinosaurs. I want to know about whether Adam and Eve had belly buttons and all these other things. We can get together and talk about that, but we're not going to talk about that this morning. We're going to focus on something else. And so don't think that I don't think none of that matters. Don't think that I don't care about any of that. I'm just saying that right now our focus is going to be elsewhere. Any questions about that? Okay. As we move forward, before we get to the purpose, there are these kind of four uh, non-negotiables of creation that I think that, that we all need to accept. If we're going to talk about the purpose, we have to have a foundation from which that purpose flows out of. So there are these four things that I think all of us, as people who believe in Christ, as people who want to uphold God's Word as authoritative, we need to say that we agree with these five or four things. So the first one is uh, that God, and I think, there we go, creatio ex nihilo. That's this fancy Latin word that you might find when people talk about creation, and it just means creation out of nothing. What that means is that when we read Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, God made the heavens and the earth out of nothing. He spoke them into existence. It's not like there was this amorphous blob out there in the universe and God came alongside of it and said, hey, I'm going to take this amorphous blob and fashion it into something else. If that were true, then there's something in existence besides God that's just as uh, eternal as he is. And that's not what Scripture tells us. Scripture tells us that God existed and nothing else did and then he, in the beginning, created the heavens and the earth. So let me give you some verses which... Talk about this. The first one is Genesis 1 1, which I already read. Next comes Psalm 33 6. This says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. God spoke the world into existence, he made them with words. That seems odd to us because 
I cannot make things with words. I have to use materials. I have to use tools. I have to use something to make something else. God does not. By the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. He made everything. John 1, 3. All things were made through him. Specific, specifically talking about Jesus' role in creation. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. So without the Son as God's agent in creation, nothing was made. It was all made through him. Colossians 1.16, we just looked at this verse together. For by him all things were created. Again, talking about Jesus. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. Everything. Physical objects, invisible objects, inanimate, abstract ideas were created by Christ for him and through him. Hebrews 11.3 By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. God didn't make what we see out of something else that we can see. He made it by speaking it into existence. So that's the first non-negotiable, creation out of nothing. If we're going to believe what the Bible teaches about God's creation out of the world, we need to embrace this idea. The second one came up in all these verses we just read, that God created both the heavens and the earth, the visible and the invisible. Everything that exists, whether we can see it or not, was made by him. The next one is that we should believe in a literal, like an actual historical, two people named Adam and Eve that were created in God's image. This one is where a lot of people who are out there in the world will say, I just don't believe that. They'll say, you know, the, 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 the Genesis 1 and 2, the way that it's written, it's, it's really poetic. It's written in a highly elevated writing style. It just doesn't seem like when Moses or whoever wrote these chapters is really presenting this as if it actually happened. And so they'll say, because of that, I don't believe that there really was a guy named Adam and a girl named Eve. God created the world. These people are just examples. But the problem with that, even if you could agree with all the stuff they say about Genesis 1 and 2, which I don't, is that later authors in the New Testament like Luke and Paul, and Jude, and, and even Jesus, when they speak, they speak about Adam and Eve as if they were real people who really existed, who were really created by God. And so you could say, yeah, maybe Genesis is really poetic, and so we can get rid of them there. But then you also have to say, well, Paul's a liar, and Luke's a liar, and Jude's a liar, and Jesus is a liar, and then like we just all need to go home because our faith doesn't matter. These people were real people that God created who represented humanity when they sinned. We're going to talk about that more next week when we cover the fall. We need to believe that God created everything out of nothing, that he created what we can see, what we can't see, and that he actually historically created two people, one named Adam, one named Eve. That everybody else comes from them. The fourth one is that God's creation was good. And I know that that one sounds... Very obvious. God is good. If God makes something, of course it's good. You or I create something, might be good, might be bad. But if God's going to make something, it's going to be great. In fact, he even says it's very good at one point. But it's important for us as we kind of go through this series to lay the groundwork that at the beginning it was good, 
Because now, when we talk about the world, when Christians talk about things that happen, we talk about the world as if it's this horrible place that just needs to burn and be destroyed. The reality is that creation was was good. The physical realm isn't inherently evil. It's not inherently bad. It was inherently good and was corrupted by us and our sin. So at the beginning, God made everything out of nothing, He made the visible and the invisible. He made an actual Adam, an actual Eve, and he made a good creation in which he placed us as people. So that's kind of this groundwork that we're laying as we go through this. And now I'm sure there is some of you out there that are thinking, well, that's great, but what about the timing? Is the earth four and a half billion years old? Is the earth 6,000 years old? Did God create the earth in a literal you know, 24-hour period, six days did, you know, he make the dinosaurs and the fossils and all that other stuff? The short answer is, I don't know. I've read a lot about it, and I don't know. I know that the people that say that Christians have to believe in a literal 24-hour period, six-day creation, I think are stepping a little too far. This word day... It doesn't always mean 24-hour period. People that say that it does are lying. Sometimes they use the word just like we did, like we do. Like if I say, well, back in my day at HLG, the fine arts building wasn't built yet. I'm assuming that most of you are going to understand that that means that I'm old, and when I was at HLG, that building wasn't there. And not that I'm saying on one specific 24-hour period when I was an HLG student, that building didn't exist. It was there the rest of the time, but that one day, it was gone. It could mean time period. It could mean 24-hour period. I don't know. Some people also say that there's a gap. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then he pressed pause. They wouldn't say pause, they would say gap. And then the rest happened years and years and years and years and years later. The point is, is that solid Bible-believing, Bible-teaching Christians who want to uphold the truth and sufficiency and authority of God's Word can believe different things about Genesis 1 and 2. If you want to talk more about that, if you have more questions about that, if you want to debate with me about that, I'd love to get together with you and talk about it. But this morning, what we're working with is these four non-negotiables, and we're moving forward to talk about the purpose. So, God created the world in us with a purpose. There are Three questions that we need to answer about this in order to really get what we need to know so that we can move forward from this passage. The first one is, what was God's purpose for creation, both in his act of it and the whole thing? The second question is, what is our purpose in creation? Why did he make us? Why do we exist in this world? And then the third question is, obviously something went wrong, so what went wrong? So the first question why did God create the world? I've got some verses for you here, and I'll read these slower than I read the last ones, I promise. Isaiah 43, 6 and 7. This is God prophesying, Isaiah writing it down. I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, 
He's talking about his people here. And he gives us some information about why he created them. Whom I created for my glory. Whom I formed and made. So God is calling his people back to his land. He's saying that I made them. I created these people for my glory. Psalm 19.1 The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Really, all of Psalm 19 kind of moves toward this point that God created everything. He made the world. All this stuff we just read about in Genesis 1 and 2, He did it to display His glory and His creation. So the question, why did God make the world? The answer is, for His glory. That's why it exists. That's why the trees outside exist. That's why there's oceans. That's why there's fish. That's why there's you and me here this morning. We exist for God's glory. See the same thing in Revelation 4. Worthy are you, our Lord. I may not have put this one on the slide. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So this is happening in heaven, in the book of Revelation, and he's saying that, that everything that exists, it exists for God's glory, and it exists because he created it by his will. So he created it with the purpose of glorifying himself, and the reason why is not because he needed glory, it's not because he needed us to you know, be friends with, for example, recently, you know, there was the, the clip of Victoria Osteen saying all kinds of crazy stuff on YouTube. And, uh, you know, like this, just this idea that God made us because he was lonely. He was just bored with nothing to do. And so he thought, hey, I'll make all these people and they'll be friends with me and I'll just be warm and fuzzy inside and so happy. That's not why God made the world. He made the world because he desired to, simply because it pleased him. It had nothing to do with us, it had nothing to do with the world, it had to do with himself and his glory. That's why he made it. But the question that we have to answer is, what's God's glory? We read about it in Scripture, we talk about it all the time, we understand that that's the purpose that God created the world for, but what is it? How is God glorified? Here's a definition. I'm going to make up a word in this definition. It's a visible and tangible expression of his godness. It's it's us seeing his beauty and his worth and his majesty on display. That's what God's glory is. It's it's a tangible or visible expression of just of who he is as God. And so if you've ever had moments in your life where you're reading the word or where you're, you know, seeing something in creation or you're praying or you're doing something and you just become overwhelmed with the magnitude of who God is or how beautiful his creation is or, or something like that, what you're doing is you are, are experiencing or encountering his glory. It's that just kind of demonstration of his, of his godness, which I know isn't a word, but it's the only thing I can come up with to, to encompass all of that in one term. So that's what creation is for. It's to give us, it's to give God's people an arena in which we can encounter who he is and how great he is and how much bigger he is than us and his majesty and his beauty and his worth in his creation. That's why we exist. That's why the world around us exists. So the next question is, well, what about us specifically? 
because I would hope that as fellow human beings, you notice we're a little bit different than the rest of creation. I can carry on conversations with you. I, well, I mean, I could, but not sanely carry on a conversation with a tree in my backyard or my neighbor's dog or the fruit flies that have invaded our home. We're different from the rest of creation. And so the question is, why? Why are we different? Why did he make us in this way? And so there's two passages that we read in Genesis 1 and 2 that give us a glimpse into this. And I'm going to read them again. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The next passage, closely related, is is chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So what we see here in these these two passages, what we see throughout Genesis 1 and 2, is that God created us, men and women, human beings, with a distinct identity and a distinct function within creation. We're different from everybody else. We have a different identity. We have a different role. Our identity is what we just read about. We are created in God's image. Who we are is different from everybody else. From every other aspect of his creation, we are the only ones who he created in his image. There's a lot of debate about what it means for us to be created in God's image, but the simple answer is, is that us being created in his image allows us, equips us to be his representatives in the world. Right? God rules over all of creation. And then he says here, let's make man in our image, let's give them dominion over our creation. So we function kind of as God's vice regents. That's like vice president. God is president over everything. We're the VP. That doesn't mean that God can die and we can move up the chain, though. We're always in this role, underneath him, exercising dominion over his creation. We also have a unique identity or a unique role. We have this unique identity, and because of that, we have this, this distinct role or function within creation. That's that we would have dominion. We would fill the earth. Later, we're going to talk about how, how Adam was supposed to work and keep the garden. But first, like I want to make sure we understand that when he says fill the earth, He doesn't just mean multiply. He's not just talking about quantity, that we would just all have a whole bunch of babies and spread out over the world so there's people everywhere. That is not accomplishing this command. Think about it this way. Let's say I go home today. My wife and kids aren't here today because they're sick. But I go home today and my wife says, Hey, Dan, uh, the van uh, tank is almost empty, so I need you to fill it up. And I go outside and I say, All right. Got some water left over from church. I'll just pour that in the tank. 
and it's full. I filled it up, right? I filled the tank. Do you think that my wife will be pleased with me when she tries to drive to the store with our van and gets stranded and she's pregnant and it's hot? No, she will not be because I haven't done what she's asked me to do. I filled the tank. But that's not filling it, right? She wants me to put gas in it so that she can use it and drive it and and it runs. This isn't just about us spreading over the face of the earth. It's about us filling the earth in both a quantitative with numbers and qualitative with quality way. This is what God is talking about when he tells Adam. He places him in the garden in Genesis 2.15 and he says to work and keep it. These same two words are used later in the Old Testament to talk about the role of the Levites at the tabernacle. The Levites were the priests. They, they provided an environment in which the people could come and worship God. They could offer sacrifices. And so when these words are used here, I think that it has an element of worship for it. Adam's purpose in creation was to work and keep the garden because if he doesn't do that, if he doesn't work and keep the garden, what's going to happen? This, this beautiful garden that God has created is going to grow and grow and get wild and crazy. And it's not going to be beautiful. It's not going to display God's glory in the way that it was created and designed for. And so Adam's job is to work it and to keep it and to, to make it more beautiful and to spread the borders of Eden across the face of the earth, to fill the earth in, in such a way that God's glory is on display everywhere. That's what he's doing. That's what his task is. That's what what our task is in creation. Now, obviously, God's answer or God's glory is on display in creation. That's what his word tells us. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. But does everybody see it? Do you see it all the time? Do I see it all the time? Do we walk outside and recognize, man, God is glorious? No, we don't. That's why in the book of Habakkuk, he prophesied of a day when when the whole earth would be filled with the knowledge of God's glory as the water covers the sea. He looked forward and he saw a time in which not only would the heavens declare the glory of God, they're going to do that always and forever, but a day in which all of us, the entire earth, understands that and knows that and recognizes it and acknowledges it and worships him for it. And so we, if we, when we think about our role in creation, that's what it is. We're those people who, by doing things like Adam, we work and keep God's creation around us. We live our lives in such a way that puts his glory on display. No, most of us aren't gardeners. And so we're not just going to go out in our backyards and, you know, pull the weeds and make the trees look pretty and do all that other stuff that gardeners do. Just, you can drive by my house and understand that I don't do those things. God's glory is not on display in my yard. The fallenness of the world is. But in whatever we do, whether... You know, you're a coach or a teacher or an HLG student or a mom or a dad or a husband or a wife. 
Whatever role you find yourself in, your job as a human being is to be somebody who works and keeps your life and God's creation in your life in such a way that His glory is on display in it. Our goal is to fill our worlds, our our little sphere of influence with the knowledge of God's glory. That's our purpose in creation. God's glory is there. We come along and we say, look at it. It's, it's, It's right here. Let me point it out for you. Let me highlight it. Let me emphasize it. That's what we're supposed to do. So that more and more people around us become filled with the knowledge of it. We see it and recognize it and worship Him for it. The last question is, what went wrong? And the need to ask this question is painfully obvious because we know that God's glory isn't easy to see in creation. In the things that happen, in the violence, in the, the pain, the disease, the loss, the, just the hatred that occurs in the world around us. Well, I mean, we're going to spend all next week talking about that, but the short answer is that we rebelled against God. We who are supposed to be his representatives and his, his vice regents in creation grabbed for his authority. We weren't satisfied with the role that we were given and we wanted more. And so instead of being agents of his glory in his creation, we corrupted it and covered it up and hid it from people. And really the rest of the Bible is about what God has done to recover his glory in his creation. But this morning, one more thing I just want us to recognize is is how much these two chapters are covered in grace. See, because we focus so much on you know how and when the world was created and all those other things, we miss the fact that God created the world in grace. And we read that passage earlier from Colossians about how the world was created. All things were created through Christ and for Christ. He was God's agent in creation. And as He's doing all these things on, on all these different days, and he's, he's making the world the way His Father is telling Him to make the world, do you not think that He knows what's coming next? Right? Genesis 3 isn't a surprise to God. It's not a surprise to Jesus. He knows as He's making the world, as He's giving us this role, as He's putting His glory on display in creation, He knows that His people are going to reject it and Him. Jesus knows that He's both the agent of creation and the one who is going to redeem it later by being killed by us. And so when we read these chapters, we need to recognize that they are drenched in grace. He didn't have to make the world. He didn't have to make us. Especially knowing what comes next. And yet because it pleased Him, He did it anyway. Knowing what it would cost Him. We get to enjoy fellowship with God as part of His creation because His Son allowed His fellowship with His Father to be broken for us. And so as we take the Lord's Supper this morning as a body, don't 
you know, be caught up in all the, the hows and the winds of creation. Celebrate and be grateful for the grace that's in his creation. That he, he created the world even though he knew what was coming next. He gave us the opportunity to reject him. And he also gives us the opportunity to worship him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your power and your nature are plainly seen in your creation. We don't have to wonder about whether you're real or beautiful or powerful or worthy. We can look at the world that you have made and know. God, we thank you that you made this world for that reason. And we thank you that you made us both to display your glory and encounter it. We pray that you would help us by your grace as your word tells us your image in us is being renewed day after day that we would represent you well in your creation. That we would both display your glory and draw others to it. That we would work and keep our lives in such a way that your fame is on display in us. God, we thank you for your grace that you show us day after day after day and you show us this morning in, in recognizing that you didn't need to create us and that you did anyway. And so help us this morning to be grateful that you've sent your Son. Jesus, help us to be grateful for you that you died paying the penalty that we owed. That you freed us from it and you freed us from the power of sin and because of that we can live the kind of lives that you call us to in your creation. Help us this morning to confess sin and repent of it where we need to and encourage us to press on in endurance. We thank you for all that you've done for us and all that you will do for us. We thank you that we are new creations in you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.